about professional services marketing. Stick around to listen to our insights, tips, and best practices to improve your firm's marketing and even your career. Welcome to this uh, most recent episode of the Unbelbaus podcast, where, uh, Andrew, it's just you and me, because <laughs> Ash, Ash is still at an undisclosed location, probably making his way to us. Uh, stuck in traffic, perhaps. Um, sorry for those who can't see you, Andrew. <laughs> Andrew Rogers is here with me from uh, Grist, the thought leadership consultancy uh, out of the UK. And uh, if, if you've been following along, Andrew, you you were here. I looked it up and then forgot. I think two two years ago, one year ago. I, I think it was probably just over a year ago. Over a year ago, yeah. Because we just released the last findings, hadn't we, yes. from, from this piece of research. Exactly. So for those of you who don't know, uh, Andrew's firm does uh, provide quite a bunch of services around creating thought leadership uh, pieces, compelling stories and the marketing that goes with them. And you also do your own, eating your own dog food, as they say, so to speak. You do... Um, research into the value of thought leadership. I think that's always the, the setup, right? The titles of the actual reports vary. And, and you've come to us with a sneak preview of your most recent edition of the survey. Is that correct? That, that is correct. I've never quite heard it called dog food. However, I'll... is that an, is that an, that's me bringing German <laughs> idioms into the English language. There you go. I, I, I think <laughs> we might, we might say walk the walk or, or talk the talk, but, but I, I, I do quite like eating our dog, dog food, but yes, we've actually, <laughs> we've eaten that dog food for some time. So yeah. if I look back, we published that, we first published that uh, floor back in 2016. That then we updated it in oh. 2018, that then 2020, 2020 when the pandemic hit, we yeah. then started producing it annually because biannually simply so simply wasn't it enough. But I, I know we're going to talk about the, the research in a second, but I, I think it's, it's always quite good to, to step back and think, well, why did we actually do this, yeah, this research in, in the first place? And, and to be honest... Half of that is around understanding that our clients needed to achieve cut through. So yeah. therefore we, we needed help. But but the other half is thinking as an agency, we need to stay on top of our game as well. Because yeah. everybody now says they they produce thought leadership. All agencies say they produce thought leadership. Yeah. And I think it's important just to remember that the dual side of that, and it genuinely is, it's a learning exercise for all of us. <laughs> It's let's let's. Uh, I don't want to offend anyone, but I would presume that taking a bunch of spreadsheets and charts and turning that into a report is one thing, but running the entire process start to finish is what you did is then probably something different, right? And that that's also where the expertise, I guess, comes from, right? Over time, if you you do, <laughs> I'm not going to say the dog food thing again, but that's the idea, right? You you consult people in the stuff you do yourself, so that, that's that's good. And from what I, I think we discussed in the previous episode, that it was quite successful for for you guys, right? As an as an instrument for for but demand creation. I, I think I'll answer that by saying this is the fifth time we've done it, and to be <laughs> honest, enough. you know, we're we're not a huge agency and producing thought leadership is quite expensive in yeah. comparison with with other activities we, we choose to do this 
but because it, it works for us. And I think yeah. it works for us because we genuinely want to help our clients. And I think that that genuineness is what you need to go into these exercises with. Excellent. Well, shall we shall we get into it then? I mean, could you could you maybe walk? So, so I wanted to ask for the highlights. Maybe just uh, that this can be super subjective. Like, what are your what were your favorite findings? And um, sorry, before you answer, I think the way you guys go about it. Um, and and I know I've just seen a sneak peek, so the final report might be slightly different. But you looked at um, what's the outlook of clients by professional services buyers right on the market. Um, where do they see thought leadership? Like, like, why are they consuming it? And I then I think you have an entire section about, okay, what what type of thought leadership might work this year if I run a consulting firm? Like, what's the stuff that works? Is that fair? Is that the structure loosely, or did I forget anything? No, no, no. That's that, that, yeah. That, that, that's a, a pretty good take on it. And to be honest, it, it's interesting with these surveys that that are regular, and we're we're big yeah. believers in that that regularity. But what you often find is what, what you want to do, there's some questions that you want to ask again and again and again, Flo, because you want to have a look at that. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. You want to see the, the difference. But then there's always something particularly pertinent at yeah. about that time that, that might take a bit of an edge within your service. But this time we really wanted to see what was the effect of the worsening economic environment? What what did that mean for, for thought leadership? Yeah. And there was really three things came out of uh, out of this this survey for us. There are three kind of important things. But one was that, yes, the, the economic environment is, is worsening. The demand for thought leadership is going up because of that, that, that worsening. So yeah. people are, are looking for, for more help. And the importance of thought leadership is growing, i.e. nearly 90% see that as an, as an important or critical element in their decision-making process of which advisor to point to a point. So it yeah. is a critical part. It's not all of that process. We, we all know that, but it is a critical part now of that process. That was the first finding. Demand is going up. The yeah. second, okay. our clients regularly ask us about methodology and with method, with methodology is the best methodology in order to create. Oh yeah, I saw that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And what came out of this was that surveys and qualitative interviews are the two top methodologies beyond think things like broader economic analysis or social listening or internal databases, whatever that, that might be. And in that, it struck us that, that within those methodologies, the C-suite really want to hear from real people. And, and those real people, we, we had a look at uh, who they are, and the top two within that are industry experts and their own customers. Yeah. So uh, again, it was quite a quite a nice and tight finding. We're constantly trying to see if there's if there's any other means out there that we can produce or possibly even a little bit more cost effectively. But unfortunately, these are the two that they're, they're genuinely look for. So that was the second key finding. And the third one, which is actually quite fascinating in its, its own right, we've not asked before, what are the C-suite willing to give up in return for this thought leadership? Mm, I yeah. Do I get or not? And if I do get... What information do I ask before I let them through? Yeah. The deceased is willing to give up an awful lot if the information is right, if the information is valuable enough, including things like budget and buying intention. So if we get it right, the opportunity, I, I think, is, it is a large one. I, I want to go just 
jump back uh, to one thing very quickly, um, hmm. where is it because the, the, the preferred methods, right? Surveys and expert interviews, because I got to put on record. So I, I, when I saw that, I had to chuckle because I remember in our last conversation, I was not, not pushing you, but I was interested in this idea that maybe data or data analysis, like taking usage data out of software, um, everything that is not, like data that does not come from a survey, that that could be sort of the, the way forward. And even back then you said, nah, let's don't, you know, uh, good old survey still going strong. So now you have it in the data. And I, so I stand, I don't know if corrected, but, um, but yeah, so that so much for that. And I think, uh, and you, it made me think when I saw this, because I remembered the conversation, um, and now so I'd like to officially change my opinion. I think that the survey might be going stronger even now because, or also the qualitative interviews, because with, and sorry to bring this up because I'm annoyed by the topic, but stuff like the chat GPT now becoming more mainstream, right? Sort of generative AI driven content, blah, blah, blah. People putting together something really quickly um, or scraping data to give it to a machine that then writes something, that, that'll become the commodity, right? So, but actually talking to people who do have an opinion and then putting that somewhere, I so I'm behind that backdrop, just I, I was reading that and I was like, okay, maybe I was wrong last time. And also it does make sense for survey and interviews to, to, to be that strong in your findings. I just want to add something that flowed just from my personal anecdote stuff is that when Mr. Musk took over Twitter, I was bombarded with survey companies literally hitting me up with like, how much are you going to invest on this platform? Which one oh, are you yeah. going to do? I, yeah. <laughs> I literally got it all like for an entire month. Like, what is your Twitter strategy? What is your social media strategy? And, and from at least four different research firms. So yeah, but I'm there's no data you could scrape on that, right? You have to ask the people who will be making the decisions in, in two months yeah. time or something. Exactly. But, two, uh, things but, I'll, two things I'll say about that, Ash. Yeah. One, that wasn't us. We, we didn't ask any of those, those, those questions. Fair enough. But, but two, when we think about this, you know, we were talking to, to 400 of the most senior people in the largest companies around the world. Now, now that these are CEOs of very large, very impressive, very progressive companies. Now, I think they understand that good stuff takes time to produce. And if I'm just scraping the web, if I'm scraping what's already out there, there's no real difference there. There's no there's no competitive advantage. Yeah. Is there? So and, and to your point of the economic outlook, like if there's if uncertainty is high, historic data, which by the like the usage patterns in my software, that's yesterday's news, right? So that's not necessarily conducive to to me making better decisions. But sorry, I sort of interrupted there um, to, to make that point. Um, did you have any other highlights or should we move on to the next? So if, if I remember correctly, Andrew, you said highlight findings, obviously economic outlook, right? That was different. Um, you said, uh, what's the methodology preferred? Surveys and qualitative interviews it is. And um, that was, where were we up to that? Sorry. <laughs> the, the, the third one was, the third one, yes. what was, that? It was around gating content. Yeah. And I was to see so we're willing to give up a lot if, yeah. if yeah. they see the value. Yeah. Which, um, which that is, um, that's, that is somewhat interesting because I mean, there's a huge trend right now to say, ungate your content and this and that, but I think there's always merit in a layered approach, right? Where you give some up for free and then you follow up with an in-depth piece of the full thing or whatever that is for, for, for later, which may, maybe I think you, we can come to that 
later a little bit because you even last time you recommended to include your clients into the creation of Pearl Digital or give previews or whatever before the, the full thing comes up. But we, we can return to that. I just felt that maybe um, before we go, because these, these were your highlights, so before we go in some of the deeper points, we should probably just for a minute define what we mean by thought leadership because some people seem to think having an opinion and a LinkedIn post is what it is. That's not what you mean when you talk about it, right? So so what is thought leadership in Chris's or in, in your view? That, that, that's right. I'll give you a definition. To be honest, lots and lots of people are asking me about the definition of, of thought leadership. Okay. What we could possibly spend an hour and a half talking about it. But the, the one thing that I, I realize is it, it's important to, to think as much about what it does as what it is, if if that makes sense. And, and All right. I'll, I'll give you give you our definition. We, we believe that's what leadership is: authoritative, insightful, and original content that builds your brand and helps your clients, leading to mutually beneficial commercial opportunities. Uh, and in that, if I was just to nice. that a, a little bit, think, think about those the first three words: original, insightful, and authoritative. Original. It needs to add to the debate, not the noise. So it's not me too. <laughs> Insightful, I'll, I'll cover this a lot because I, I think that's getting to, you need to answer the so what yeah. question. And it needs to be authoritative, i.e. it needs to be backed by your surveys and qualitative interviews, i.e. research analysis, not just opinion, no matter how impressive that opinion might be might be <laughs> and then the last half of that was this mutually beneficial opportunities which i think sometimes we, we we lose track on i think in marketing we're very good about thinking about our own objectives and what it is that we we want to do what do we want to achieve with this this piece of content yeah need to be as good thinking about what's in it for our clients why should they bother yeah, absolutely and i think especially in the in this industry you and i are in where we work with consulting firms that's the message we still need to push um what i think is interesting that's just tangential comment i'm seeing sometimes and it's often younger firms i also see firms are on the other side of this where they give a lot up for free and they give tons of advice um and and it's, i always make this joke about the the, the christmas dinner recipe right the, like it's all helpful stuff but it because they don't link it back to the business, it's not beneficial to them. So that's just a, that's a tension. But I'm, sometimes I encounter in the wild the, the weird firm that comes to us and asks, we've been blogging for like two years and nothing's happening. And I'm going to the blog and saying, this is maybe very generous, but I'm not sure how it was doing <laughs> for you, for your guys' um, firm. That's, eh? that's, a, that's a side comment. No, no, but, but side comments are always always often the interesting ones to chase. I, I, I look at often with, with, with blogging programs, and, and clients often come to us and they said they've been blogging for, for two years. One, they often say it's become really onerous to, to think about new topics yeah. and to get people to raise their hand to, to volunteer, et cetera. But my worry is, is that if a blog program is just on it, it's right. There's, there's too many different opinions, yeah. too many little yeah. stars. Now, producing a single cohesive large piece of thought leadership and then pulling that apart into its constituent blogs will give you the same amount of blogs, but they've all yeah. got a house to drive people back to and there's something that's robust, yeah. sits behind it and brings it all together, gives it a direction. Yeah, I, I love that. I love that. Which, by the way, and I always keep saying this, um, and I will, I will in the future use, use you guys as an example as well, 
uh, I guess enough to talk about one or two things. Seriously, probably it's even what you should be doing if you're a focused consultant business. Um, like you guys talk about the value of thought leadership. That's it. It's not. It's not. Um, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not going to say it's not onerous. or kind of be onerous to always stick to one topic. But if, if yeah, you're exactly right. Just complain about oh, it's so difficult to come up with new topics. Blah blah. Well, there there is your problem in a way. You have too much stuff going. Sorry, I don't want to. No, no. I, I, I think that's really. There, but, um, but yeah, it's a really interesting point. My living is thought. It's really interesting. It's fascinating. My living is thought leadership. That's the stuff yeah. that I know that I think I can I can help people with. We, we often talk about having the right to play in an in an area. And, and yeah. I think my right to play, I, I think we've earned the right to play in thought leadership. I'm not sure we've earned the right to play in, in other areas. So I might have opinions. Website but, design or whatever it could be. That's right. But but I think one of the things that, that you were looking to talk about was, was why should clients come to professional advisors for thought leadership rather than the trade press? For, 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 for example, yeah. Good, good segue there, because now going deeper into your research findings, you mentioned this, one of your findings was that uh, quite a large share of executives told you they actually prefer to get uh, insights from thought leadership, from consulting firms, which they cannot get from the trade press. Sort of like an exclusive little bit insider advantage. I don't know how you, you'd frame it. That struck me as interesting. Um, can, do, do you want to? You, you've already mentioned it, but do you want to elaborate a little bit further? How do you? How do you see this? Sure, sure. sure. And, and and this is one of the new questions that, that we asked. And again, we got to the new questions by putting a panel of our clients together hmm. and, and saying, you, "You've seen plenty of our research. What are we not covering that you'd be really interested in seeing?" And and this is one of the key questions that popped out of that. And and the specific question was, "Why should I go to a professional?" Services firm for that total leadership rather than the trade press, so you cover it in depth. When we put that to the C-suite, the answer is in the so what. The answer mm. is in the decision-making. So that the trade press covers plenty of topics and covers plenty of topics really, really well. But do they get into the nitty-gritty advice about what actions I should yeah. based on that information? No, they don't. And I think that's that's driving the so what if i give a bit of color around that think about a topic like, like digital transformation or whatever we want to to talk about clearly there's lots and lots and lots of information around digital transformation in the trade press but are there the specifics around where should i start what about my legacy systems how do i build a business case what about return on investment who has done it well what's the role of my advisor Within yeah. that, I think some of these specifics, I'm not sure are so well covered by the trade press, and I think that's what they're they're looking for. Yeah, which I think that's also something you mentioned last time we spoke, and I think it bears repeating is the the, the analysis and the insights is one thing, but if you could, if you don't follow through with like your interpretation and a recommendation, it will be beneficial to the reader still, but not so much beneficial to your firm because it's not. I as I as the consumer of your thought, I have not understood how you now see this and how you would help me because because your perspective or your recommendation is, is missing. It, yeah, I, I like that. Yeah, Exactly. And it, it goes back to decision-making. What decision are you helping me to make? Yeah. And, and I think we, we, we need that front and foremost in our mind. And if we're helping them make a, a decision, for instance, on that digital journey, that, that first step on the digital journey, that's what we're helping them to, to do. Unless there's some practical advice, then we're not actually doing that. <laughs> It's, I really, I'm going to write this 
actually i don't have to write it down because we're recording it but <laughs> that i really love that that's a brilliant question that's a that's a nugget right there for me personally and saying what is the decision we're trying to help them make and also um and i'm going to to share this number from your results sort of early but 87 percent of executives in this report say that thought leadership influences their decision around which firm to hire. That, that's me grouping two results together. It's very, yeah. influences very much and influences much, but, but, uh, but a staggering, I, I pulled this out and into my notes because I thought, wow, that is a huge number. Um, does this mean you can get disqualified from, <laughs> in a vetting process for not having, like if there's three other firms that have great thought leadership, mine doesn't? I, I'm not sure if they'll disqualify you, but, but I think it, it puts you at a certain disadvantage. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that is, is unequivocal. Now, I'll give you another stat which reinforces that. So the one you've just quoted is, is effectively nine out of 10 of the people that we talk to say thought leadership is either important or critical in the decision-making about a professional advisor. The second stat, which I think is, is just as powerful, is eight out of 10 of those that we talk to said, if my current professional advisor is not producing thought leadership on the topics that I want to read, I will turn to their competitors. So as a, a, a double-edged sword, that, that is, is powerful. So not in 10 say yes, but eight in 10 say, if you don't have it, I'm going to go somewhere else. That taste. Because, yeah, because I think, um, and, and Ash and I discussed this to no end, yeah. this and it's a cliche at this point that the buyers want to progress through the buying cycle, right? To whatever percent. I always, I'm, I'm saying 80 these days because I forget the press item, but they want to do a, quite a bit of the buying self-directedly. <laughs> that an adjective? That's a... they, they basically <laughs> know what they want to get. <clears throat> yeah, so that, which, that's the thing. No, but but I mean, this this is for me where it clicks because in this in this world of self-directed digital first service buying, I go to your website, and yeah, you say you're an expert in whatever. But if I then click on the Think Pieces repository or your resources, there's nothing there. Like I haven't even spoken to you. I'm already thinking, oh, that's a bit thin, right? And I'm I'm guessing that there's there's stages of this. The more I'm interested, the, the closer the relationship gets, the more I will get into your stuff and read it and sort of vet not a, just the fact that you have it to you. It's not a box. I would presume it's not a box checking exercise, but also an exercise of quality quality of thinking actually right? Flo, I'd, I'd like to add it's not just that it's a matter of trust and reputation yeah trust yeah, sure. is a key thing i, I absolutely agree 110 percent with that statement it's about trust and it's yeah. about building that trust and that is is such a fragile stack you you take one pin away from mm -hmm. from that and and trust can fall away yeah. very quickly I, I think thought leadership is is all about building trust and, and i kind of hope that you know if we do this enough that, that people trust us to be the ones who know what the c-suite are looking for in the thought leadership that that they create that that's yeah that's Brilliant. What yeah which which that is our next set of questions right so now that we've established or you have or you rather with your data that that this this stuff really matters let's discuss what cuts through because this this i read this of great interest because you you also ask uh, well, what, what are the executives looking for? That's one part, and I think then you also you you even go as far as checking what's the what's a good distribution model. What where are people consuming this stuff? So so should we what what does cut through? Like what like in terms of content? What are the executives looking to the consultancies for? Um, to sure, sure. we we've touched on on quite a lot of uh, of things so far, but but let's what what we've not touched on. It is the issue of, of time. 
Yeah. And two two things that that maybe we could talk about is mm-hmm. is one what time period are the C suite looking for for help with? So in terms of the challenges that they're they're looking at, is that zero to three months? Is is that three to twelve? Ah, yeah, <clears throat> that's a really good point. Yeah, I like that. Please go on. And, and secondly, let, let's think about shelf life, which again was a new question that we've we've not asked before, and how frequently I should update the thought leadership that I've I've created, which is fascinating. Now, in if you if you remember back in in twenty twenty, one of our hypotheses was that the time frame that the C suite were looking for help for had started to shrink. So back in the day, when, when Gris first started producing thought leadership, lots of what we're doing was this big kind of trend analysis. It was looking out five years, 10 years, et cetera, et cetera. In the pandemic, that, that became right up close. Yeah. And effectively, executives wanted help within the here and now. They needed to know what to do in response to the, the pandemic. So in reality, that dropped down. It was around about eight months, the, the average mm-hmm. time. 2021 when we redid that that research, that time period started to move out ever so slightly. And that headed up to around about 12 months. I.e., it's not just the immediate term that I'm I'm looking for, but it's one year plan. Now, which is quite interesting, we thought maybe it would come back a little because of the worsening economic environment, but it hasn't. It's still moved out a little bit more, so that it's moved to an average of around about 14 months. So what we might term the near-term future. And and that is, is, I I think it's quite interesting. What one, it shows that that possibly the market is a little bit more robust than than we thought it was. But but two, when I've I've breached this question with with clients before, what clients actually, I think is is absolutely right, is that even if I'm building a short-term plan or a medium-term plan, so something for the next one to two years, that involves doing something right now. I yeah. still need to, to get my house in order, whether I'm thinking about the future of work, supply chain optimization, sustainable finance, whatever those big topics are. It's still, even if I've got that one to, to one-and-a-half-year horizon, there still is something that I need to do now. So I, I thought that was was quite interesting in terms of a, of a finding. Hmm. Yeah, I wanted to like add on to that because I was also thinking like, for instance, right now with everyone trying to get people to go back into the office, future of work thing is probably going to be something that they're looking more shorter term. Whereas when they're looking at a massive digital transformation, like uh, another supply chain or using multiple you know partners or whatever, they're probably looking a little more longer because they're looking at investment. So how do you differentiate in the topics there? With the time. We, we, we did ask a question about topics, but when you think about the audience that, that we we surveyed, it, it was, yes, they're all C-suite, mm-hmm. but if you think of the difference between an HR director, a CMO, an IT director, yeah, the sure. topic itself would be so dependent on the job title that you're... Yeah. So, so we did ask it, and, and it is, you know, you mentioned future of work, future work came out there, the supply chain... Question is massive right now. Sustainability mm-hmm. yeah. is is massive. You know, not no surprises in terms mm-hmm. of. I'm sure if we dug into each of those topics, yes, you probably would get a slightly different yeah. time. But but the one thing that always strikes me when when we think about that, let's just talk about the, the future of work. It's somebody's job to look at the future of work every day. Yeah. But when you look True. at it, so again, yeah. it, it, but that might rise up the, the boardroom agenda and then rise down the boardroom agenda. 
but the yeah, function is always there. Yeah. He's looking at that every single day. Of, yeah, yeah, every single year. Yeah, nice. That is also another good one. It's not always about the corner office. It's also about the the function leaders and the the influencers, so to speak, right? In the, the buying groups, mm -hmm. they also are consumers of the of the thought leadership. But that's that's great, and I think the um the the interesting. I I took another note. So I'm just reflecting back what I'm taking notes of to you, Andrew, so, because I don't know if you've heard it before. But you said um. Clients ask you, you you entered the question into your item list because folks kept kept coming to you asking, when should I update the thought leadership? Which strikes me as a compliment to your clients. That's the right thinking, right? It's having something which we then update. That's the the verb struck me as um as as in, as an interesting one. Because going to back to what we discussed earlier, you don't need a new piece every six months. You can keep updating stuff and then if the 14 month horizon is is what it is which according to your data that gives me years worth the time to do the next one so nice that's that's a good possibly to have. possibly, possibly <laughs> is okay. the, the answer to that because I, I didn't get to to talk about the stats around around shelf life so if you think that the stat that we had that 14 months that 12 to 14 yeah. months it is effectively the time period that they most want help with so you see most want, want help with we also asked the question which was as around the thought leadership you're reading at the moment. What's the kind of shelf life look like? When is that? that out of oh, you asked that directly. Okay, and, and cool. that question comes yeah. out at, at around just over over six months of the thought leadership that they're currently reading. Hmm. The shelf life that they felt was around about six months. Now, when you put the two of those together, that is that is quite an interesting combination. Mm -hmm. Now, I think you're right where you were going with that earlier conversation for that. We don't need to produce a brand new survey every six months in order to fulfill our, our clients' objectives. What we need to do as marketing people, one, we need to realize that you know the issues, digital transformation, whatever it might be, future of work, they're not going away in six yeah, months. Yeah, there are. No. And, and one piece of content yeah. isn't going to solve all of their, their problems. Let, let, let's mm -hmm. Potentially, if, if we do our job right and we produce the right survey, but potentially if we look at that, maybe it doesn't actually need updating. Maybe all of the information is absolutely fine in six months' time. And we can just put a small disclaimer in the front of it to say to let people know exactly when the research was undertaken, which I always think is wise. Maybe yeah. we're running a smaller pulse survey that effectively just mm -hmm. tests three or four of those really important questions. Or maybe mm -hmm. we're overlaying some qualitative interviews to effectively say, hey, we did this research back in November 22. We, we might do this ourselves, by the way. We, we did this research back in, in November 2022 but talk to six or eight key individuals and ask them, what do you think is, is yeah. true? Is that What's still valid? Has that changed? Yeah, interesting one. Yeah. So, so mm -hmm. well, we need to be pragmatic in, in the approach that we're not publishers. We, we can't produce real-time information on every single topic. That's not how this, this works. We provide value, uh, and then individually throughout the, the year, be that three-month cadence or six-month cadence, we revisit and think, what can we cost-effectively do now to continue the debate? Nice. So I feel like we can move on. That's the last question on my list, and we have we're running up on time. But you, yeah. you, you do dive into um, the distribution, and I couldn't help but notice two things. I was surprised that so you sort of stack rank the preferred channels, and virtual events are high up the list, which totally aligns with my personal experience, but I thought might be surprising to people because I heard a lot about, oh, people have Zoom fatigue, this stuff doesn't work, everybody wants to go out again. Your data says, and it's November 22, right? It's end of last year. So it's 
your data says no, it's not so. People still like um, virtual uh, virtual events as the precise descriptor, right? That's right. That, that, that's right. And I think I'll touch on that in a second. But but the, the more surprising thing, and the thing that kind of almost irritates marketers, is if you look at number one on that list. Yeah. These are the most senior people, the biggest companies around the world. What do they like? They like slides. Now, <laughs> yeah, marketing, sure. marketing people hate that piece of information. <laughs> oh, we can't still be back on the bloody slides, can we? Surely, surely. But when you think about it, if you turned around to your client-facing folk and you said, would you like an editable PowerPoint deck of the research findings that we've just done so you can put them in your own? Yeah, nice. Like what answer would we get? Yeah. We would get a yes, please give that to me now. Yeah. We need to be really careful around these kind of shiny new tools and, and make sure, because as marketers, we love them. We, we all love yeah. them, but, but that we don't throw the baby out with the, the bathwater. Now, we should all test it with our own audience. And I'm not saying everybody should go in and produce slides, test it with our own audience. But that's great we, because that's great because you, what you're saying is the, the one reason they like it is the CEO gets to include my chart in her next keynote. Which is good for me because they're probably, hopefully, they're crediting it. So, so why not give them the data? Fascinating. I, I hadn't when I saw that up top of the list. I was like, that makes a lot of sense to me because it's fully in line with digital first service buying. Like slides are, I can download them. They're fairly condensed, so it's not a bunch of stuff. Like it's, it's just it's very it's a very convenient format. And um, yeah, I don't have to listen to someone drone on. <laughs> Like people who are listening to this podcast have to do with me. Um, I can just go through in my own time, which that's a hundred percent how people want to want to do this stuff. So I, I, that's what that was my thinking when I saw that. I just saw the bar chart with the stack ranking. So the uh, distribution thing. I just want to add: is it isn't it more that people want it in a way that they like it? Like whether it's virtual, whether it's in person, whether it's all, is the data showing that they just want it? in a way that's the most convenient to them, just like people want to work in a way that's most convenient to them. That, that's right. And that was a, a point that I was going to come to, that when you look at those statistics, yes, we, we, we've got those slides that are top of that list, virtual events, and, and I will talk about virtual events. I'm conscious I haven't talked about virtual events, but I will talk about them in a second. Mm -hmm. a second. But, but right down to, to the benchmarking tools, the infographics, et cetera, the, the video. If you think about it, all of those are scoring at least 20% yeah. plus. So that's one in five. Now, if we don't produce any of those channels, or any one of those channels, should I say, we are at risk of alienating a fifth of our audience. And when you look at it that way, yeah. who can, you know, B2B, that's we've got small way. audiences. We, we can't toss 20% out of the out of the window. Say, so I, I absolutely agree with that point. Now, my own personal view with virtual events, virtual events, obviously, they jumped in with the pandemic. Yeah. We all kind of expected them to go away. They, they haven't gone away. They, they're, I, I think they're, they're here to stay. They are, when we look at them, you know, you can learn an awful lot from your desk. It is very handy. Let, let, let's face it. Now, I think what we need to do with virtual events is think about not just the content, but those networking opportunities which I think were as least as important as the content itself. It was who we were meeting and what their views were. And, and yeah, right. So I think we really need to think about that kind of that networking capability as well. In, which, in which Ash and I are working to schedule someone who is an events expert. But I think what I hear a lot, what we hear a lot is that that's where it splits, right? The in-person events I go to for the networking. So you can be lighter on the content. 
the the 20 minutes expert presentation with great slides i can watch that at home just just do it virtually like i don't know but yeah so that that was one finding and then i just i'll just mention it and then people have to go and get the report to find out what the status but the podcasts show up on the list <laughs> which <laughs> us hosting a podcast made me say yeah thank you but uh, but there is a significant um share of executives uh who say I'd like to get my thought leadership and podcast format, which I think is great, great news. I, I, I agree. And, and a podcast is interesting. So I, I, I did some additional analysis on podcasts on the back oh, of the, the last issues. Now, podcasts are particularly interesting, which you'll be glad to hear, to the marketing community. I think that there is something about us as a great, I, I, I think we, I don't know, we, we, we just like it as, as a format. Now, now I, I think... Interesting. If you think about what we're talking about here, we're talking about thought leadership that professional services and advisory companies produce for a target audience from predominantly a business development perspective. I think that the podcast is a very, if there is a sell, it's a very, very soft sell, I think. But, but interestingly, yeah. <laughs> what my research found was that many professional services firms use it as a means to get closer to the kind of people that they either want to sell to or that know the people that they want to sell to. So yeah. it, it really was a very, very soft sell, but but it it wasn't completely missing that that sales mark. That that was still no. in the room. It, it was just an, an educational web. And again, I I really like that as a I think that's your spot on in your analysis. And I have been to conferences where um, I see this, I see doing a podcast literally presented as an, there is this buzzword of account-based marketing, right? Um, as an account-based marketing go-to market play. Um, personally, I would advise against that. Uh, or not, I'm not necessarily advising it, but be very, very careful. Uh, like if you invite me to your podcast and then there's a soft pitch two weeks later, I'll be like, nah, thank you. Like, nah. But what you're saying is establishing the relationship absolutely is great. Um, uh, uh, I don't know if people flinch at that word, but I think it does create some sort of intimacy between the experts and the prospects because you were hearing our voices right now, probably right in your headphones. That's probably that's pretty intimate. <laughs> I don't know yeah. if people like that word, but but it does that, right? If you read my post, you have no idea how, who I am now talking. Um, and and last perspective, which probably you can relate to Andrew from from a creation perspective, video does the same, mm. but depending what consultants you're working with, it can be terribly difficult to get them in front of a camera. Podcasts I find are quite easy to still also a bit of a hurdle for people to go on, but uh, once they do one or two and find that no, they don't sound terrible. Like everybody thinks that at first. Uh, I, I still can't hear myself talk uh, once we recorded those, but no, you're fine. And once they learn that, it actually, it becomes an easy to produce thing, which is quite, there's quite a bit of heavy lifting in terms of conveying your expertise. I, I, well, I've heard this before, but I think I've got the perfect face for radio, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Did you say that? That sounds familiar. You might have said that last time. Uh, no, you'd you'd be fine in video as well. Um, yeah, that, that's my that's my same comment. Side comment. Um, so this was this was great, Andrew. Um, thanks for stopping by. Thanks for the update. Uh, thanks also for the report. I I think it's great. And if, if uh, like if you want to hear a client client feedback or like I, maybe I'm in the client group, I don't know. But it's terribly helpful to have these stats at hand. 
Um, and I will be referencing this thing forever when it comes out. When does it come out? <laughs> because you've given us a sneak preview, right? It's not published. It's a sneak preview. If readers would like a copy of, of the slides, then just get in touch with me, either on LinkedIn or send me a, a direct email, and I'm more than happy to, to circulate those. Perfect. And we put your profile uh, in the show notes, and mm -hmm. people have to go there and find the email if, if yeah. they can. Um, no, that was that was great. And uh, uh, so uh, when we say slides, what you mean is the, the data charts as you have them around, right? The preliminary yeah. analysis and your team is working on, there will be a, a, a full flash report coming out but soon. One for a bit more research. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's a good, uh, that's the best place to end it, uh, I think. So Andrew, thanks again for stopping by. Yeah, thanks um, for joining us. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, it's always a pleasure. Have a great rest of uh, your Friday and I'll stop the recording here. And then, yeah, uh, rip to your inbox for people asking. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. <laughs> All right. I, I, I'll, I'll retire and just wait for the phone to ring. Is that, is that right? Uh, I'm done now. <laughs> that might be me over-promising the, the reach of this podcast. Right? Uh, mm -hmm. But anyway, we'll see. So thanks and... Um, Thanks for listening to Unbillable Hours. If you want more, tune in next week. You know where to find us.